So you have to know as a department where you're at. And we're, we have to be honest. Where are we at with the trust? Where are we at? In some areas, we're great. In some areas, we're not. Greetings and welcome to this month's edition of the FBI National Academy Associates Leadership APB Podcast Series. My name is Tony Bailey, and I am the Director of Education and Training for the Association. Today's podcast is sponsored by T-Mobile for Government, delivering connectivity to first responders when and where it matters most. Our topic for today's episode is creating our next generation of community engagement officers. Today, we will be featuring Superintendent Baston of the Boston Police Department from the great state of Massachusetts. Superintendent Baston is a 27-year veteran of the Boston Police Department who has served as a member of the command staff for 16 years and holds the civil service rank of Lieutenant Detective. Superintendent Baston has advanced through the ranks and is currently the chief of the Bureau of Professional Development, as well as the fourth female appointed to the rank of superintendent in the department's history. Among her many accomplishments, she is most proud of having been the commander of the Safe Street Teams Initiative, where under her leadership, they were recognized by the IACP, the International Association of Chiefs of Police, in 2011, with the Community Policing Award and the Excellence in Law Enforcement Research Award, along with graduating from the 242nd session of the FBI National Academy in 2010. For over 18 years, Superintendent Baston has continued to develop deep and meaningful relationships with the community by engaging with all the neighborhoods throughout the city of Boston. Superintendent Baston is a product of the Boston Public Schools and graduated from the Boston Latin School. After receiving a basketball scholarship, she went on to complete both her bachelor's and master's degree in criminal justice at the University of Massachusetts, Lowell. In 2019, Nora was awarded Alumni of the Year by the UMass Lowell's Criminal Justice Department. And now it's my pleasure to introduce my friend, Superintendent Nora Baston. Welcome, Superintendent. It's great to have you joining us on today's podcast. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Tony. It's an exciting day for me. My first podcast ever. Pretty cool. Very good. Very good. The Boston Police Department has had great success in helping to build what is known as the 21st century policing model that came out of former President Barack Obama's administration. Since then, we've seen several national incidents occur, and the outcry is once again surrounding the topic of lack of trust and engagement with law enforcement in their communities. How has that impacted the Boston Police Department, and what measures has Boston PD taken to rebuild those relationships? Yeah, thank you for uh, asking that question, Tony. You know, this morning I just tweeted a picture. I found I was cleaning up my office and it was from 2007. I was a sergeant and I just got a point to this, um, that Safe Street Team Initiative by former Commissioner Ed Davis. And I sent him the picture as well. And I remember him saying, you're going to go up and walk around the streets with the clergy. And I said, the clergy? For what? Because you're used to seeing them just after a press conference if there was a shooting. I said, nothing happened up there. He goes, you're going to walk around and build relationships. You know, I didn't understand the concept now. And I'm looking back and I tweeted the way back Wednesday picture to say, wow, how long ago was that? And how much did I learn since then? And at the same time, how things haven't changed. You know, you go back to the basics, um, like what you were talking about, building trust and relationships. You know, you have to think of the key words. It's called building. It takes time. It takes years. 
and the investment pays off years later. So you can't do quick fixes. And I think Boston's done an amazing job of continuing that relationship building, um, going back to the basics from walking with the clergy. We work with the clergy now. We were working with the clergy way back in 2007. So I'm just proud that in Boston, we, we've kept that initiative going. Yeah, very good. Looking at it, you know, you have led the community policing efforts for the Boston police for over 17 years. And then you transitioned to the Bureau of Professional Development, which is essentially the training division for the entire department. What was that like? And uh, what were some of the pros and cons, if any? Yeah. So when I got promoted, it was, I only had 10 years on the job looking back now. So I was new, I was young. I still wanted to run and gun. So building the relationships was a new concept to me. But, um, you know, as you write in my resume, I played basketball at UMass Lowell. So I used to just show up to the basketball courts and say, I got next. And they would look around and say, is that the police sergeant? And they were really confused. And I would ask my friends, stereotype, typical, any of my friends that were white, they said, hey, they're going to think you're a cop. You have to pretend you're a cop and come play basketball with me. So it really went a long way and started there. And since then, when I got promoted, being the fourth female, um, they actually created a Bureau of Community Engagement. And I don't think any police department or maybe one or two now are doing that. What a bureau is, is we have the Detectives Bureau. It's pretty big. The Bureau of Field Services, which is a SWAT team and everything. And then Commissioner Gross created the Bureau of Community Engagement, which was a big deal because now you're creating an entire bureau focused on engagement. Um, But what I saw at the time was that I brought the all-star team in. I brought officers who just needed the autonomy to do um, whatever they thought could build relationships. And for me, it was a shock because none of them were playing basketball. And I remember one of my officers said, I'm going to do this program. She was an actress called Act Up with 5-0. And I'm thinking in my head, you know, like the breakfast club, who's going to be sent there, and you know, after school. And I remember her sending me um, an invitation to the graduation. I just had an injury. It was during COVID. And I remember saying, okay, I can go to the graduation. I was in a sling and I'm walking down the hallway at headquarters and I could hear everyone clapping. And I'm like, wow, how do they know I'm not even in the door yet? How do they know I'm, I'm here? And when I walked in, they weren't clapping for me. And that's when I really stepped back and was like, wow, the engagement has gone to another generation. The newer officers who are creative, who are, it's more than basketball and walking around and just going in the store. And I was like, wow, it's time for me to step back and move on to my next journey because they got it from here. And one of my officers became superintendent of the Bureau of Community Engagement. Officer Jimmy Chin rose to the ranks, was my deputy, and now he is the superintendent of the Bureau. So I know through the years, it was my time to like let that generation bring it to another level. And then I thought, well, what can I do? What can my impact be? And I said, you know what? The impact is getting these new recruits out of the gate and making that the next generation to have the mindset, the mindset, not a class, not a guest speaker, the mindset through the academy. So I, I took the gamble because it was new for me. I was, you know, 18 years of community engagement and then a new role. And I went into the police academy just to see if I could get them right out of the gate and have them thinking because they are the next generation. And what better way to have 100 to 200 new recruits thinking the way that I was taught and I wish I was taught it from the, you know, when I was a recruit. Yeah, that's true. It's uh, you start building that culture early. Yes. Uh, not not after the fact. So that that's really good. Training is now a big topic across the country as incidents like we saw in Memphis and others where one of the issues is the lack of training or the department's training goes under a microscope. How do you deal with that as you lead your department's training division? Really good question because part of it goes back to everything that you said. It goes back to building trust. 
So one of the things that you have to look at is what officers are coming into the police department. Now, I know we don't have a lot of control over that. A lot of um, departments of civil service, so we always say we can't handpick them, right? That's something. But we have mechanisms in place in a lot of police departments like the cadet program. You handpick cadets. Cadets are automatically in the pipeline to become police officers. So as we reach out and get diversity into our police department, into our academy, how do you shape them and, and what culture change is that? Well, one of the culture changes, we're not getting the normal, typical military person who used to take the job. It used to be white males, right? It was white males. I know we're all nervous to say it, but it was. Most of our police departments are white males and they were structured and had the discipline with the military. So the academies were structured around that. And what I saw was the difficulty of just the, the physical aspect of the PT and the discipline. So you come out of the gate and you never had military in your background. You show up to the police academy, you're not an athlete or you haven't gone through basic training. And then you have this elite training that you can barely get through the door. And when you go into police academies, they put you to level 50 on day one, level 80 on day two. So what I try to do is really take a look back and just like, let's slow it down and look at who we're training now and what is the best mechanism to train not only the people that don't have military, but this generation. And as you know, this generation is what? Hands-on, visual. They're not like us when we were young and we just played sports all day. They're behind computers. They're on Instagram. So we have to train for that. And how do you motivate that population of new recruits? And how do you get them to buy in? Because you have to get them to buy in. So that was some of the things that I faced here in the academy. And the other thing is they're young. So they don't know the history of everything that has happened all throughout the country. So they might go in with the best intentions, but they don't know the history that police has not always been putting up their hand and saying, hey, this is us, we're here together. So you, it's not as easy as to train them, put them in a community, and then the community, the older generation is like, we don't know you, we don't trust you, because our narrative is complete. And then you top it that with the national narrative on TV, and what I say to the recruits, if you don't create your own narrative, you become the national narrative. So I think one of the challenges for me in Boston is that how do we get officers to create our own narrative? And how do we teach recruits that they don't need to be a superintendent, they don't need to be a captain or a sergeant, they actually hold more power than anyone because they're out for eight hours a shift, they have more contact with everyone, and it's up to them to create the narrative for the Boston police. And I, that's what I'm really trying to instill in them now, that it's not... The top leadership down, I know that's important, but whatever they do, they could, you know, we go home at four o'clock, I always say, and then they get in the car and what's going to make them be the type of police officer they are. So that's kind of like the challenges and the message that I think training under a microscope to let them know that you are under a microscope and every movement you do will affect the, the country. You know, you're absolutely right. They are the face of the department. They're out there on the streets. They're the first contact people have with with your organization or any organization across the country. So that's uh, that's great that you're uh, trying to instill that into them right out of the gate. And, and just to chime into one thing that we was a major change in Boston, we just changed the, we have something, we have oversight, like everyone has posts, but we also have the MPTC, which is the Mass Police um, State Training Committee that oversees all the police departments in Massachusetts. And a bunch of, um, you know, we, we, we've met in all the academies. And one thing that was instrumental, we just changed the training, um, basically the PT requirements in the academy. So before you had eight weeks to get in shape. But once I said, you were not bringing the same recruits in. 
So what I argued and a lot of other chiefs argued is let's give them 16 weeks, right? We give them 16 weeks. It gives them time to grow, gives them time to build. And I used to say to my instructors, we don't give them a criminal law test as soon as they walk in, but they know they have to take criminal law. And they say, yes, ma'am, yes, ma'am. I go, we have to, we have to treat PT and the, and the PT training the same way. We have to train them and give them the tools to be able to do 30 push-ups. They come in doing six, but they need the tools to grow. And we have to, we have to take the PT the same way we take the academic part. And I think that was a big hurdle for a lot of academies because they used to just the fit and the discipline. And when you don't have the fit and the discipline, that's a challenge to shape them and mold them. And I think it's on academies. And I take that responsibility on if there's any failure, I feel like it's a failure of the academy and how, how can we do better? Yeah, very good. Very good. You know, you've been in a top leadership role now for 17 years. So where do you believe the profession is heading and where do you think law enforcement agencies need to improve? One thing I think is that when I said our narrative, what's headed is that we're going to be under a microscope even more. And I just watched a 21st century policing and it had Chief Ramsey talk about an incident that happened. And you know what he said? He said, I believe this is an opportunity for police departments to show what we already do great and what we can do even better and embrace the changes and grow with them instead of challenging them. And I think police departments for a while were resisting the defund the police movement, the, you know, we're going to have to have no immunity. And we were fighting these things, but we have to accept that policing now is going to be under a microscope and it, and it should be because of all the incidents that happened. This is a chance for us to show them that in our social media, this is what I say, or doing podcasts or being out in the limelight even more. So I love that this creative way of podcasting, doing social media, but more than the basic, we do coffee with a cop and we have the basic, like the ice cream truck comes. Like we have to move away from those days and we have to have meaningful conversations with groups that we're used to not having conversations with. Groups that we have to change their mind and they actually, we have to turn those naysayers into, I actually believe her because she, I'm, I'm starting to trust her and not me as a person, but as an organization. And how do you change an organization? So we have to get away from the individuals and departments like the community service officers. And I think as a department as a whole, how do you take a step forward? You have to include unions and you, you have to include the people, the cops that might not want to get on board. And I think that's a challenging thing because it's easy for me to get on board and bring the people that believe in what I believe. But as a top leader, how do you bring the group that is normally resist. And I think you see that with a lot of new chiefs that go from outside agencies and they come into a department, they have a great plan, but you, you have the department you need to do it. And you have to think about the department internally and about how they feel and, and how to fund the police makes them feel internally as well. So I think we do a really good job recognizing the external challenges, but internal challenges that we kind of the profession has changed and we can't blame guys that they signed up for a job 30 years ago and now you're asking them to do this. And a little bit of resistance as leaders, we're just like, get on board. And we don't work with them just like we work with recruits. We have to show them. And you show them by top leadership being down and getting out of their office and bringing out their captains and bring out the sergeants, sending them to training, doing a better job to send their top leaders of the organizations, like the supervisors, just like you said, the ground level, the guys are doing the work. The patrol supervisors doing the work. We can't just send all the top commanders to all these fancy trainings and then the middle management has nothing. So I think as an organization, police departments have to do a better job of wrapping arms around the entire organization and training. And that's something that I'm, I'm bringing at the academy because we're responsible for training new supervisors. So one thing I saw in our curriculum is that we give them the tactics 
We get them how to use the new Mark 43 systems, but there was no leadership component. And I just remembered the leadership classes I took and reached out to amazing leaders and just given them, they're the first line supervisor. And how do you make that jump? And they're going to lead the way for the guys on the ground. Not the top, top, top that, you know, we sit there with the fancy stars and, you know, we have everyone under us. So we get it. How do you make the other guys get it? And I think top organizations, that's the challenge that they have. And I, I know in Boston, that's something that we face. That's a difficult challenge for many organizations. And uh, we have to uh, invest in our people and give them opportunities to to understand and learn and experience and, you know, and even fail at, at some time. Yes. They, they have to have that opportunity. And let them see, and let them see it because they only can learn from it if they're actually doing it, not us telling them the lesson learned and the failure when they do it themselves. And last night, our police commissioner had a community comstat. You know what comstats are. Yeah. Commissioner Cox is now bringing them and calling them community comstats, which is an amazing idea. And he brings the community, the comstat into the community. And I didn't go to the meeting and I asked one of my coworkers, I said, so what do you think was different? And he said, you know what? He made the captain come in his entire shifts. 30 officers came and the captain, not the commissioner, not the chief, had the captain say, meet your officers because they're the ones that are going to respond to the call and they're the ones that you're going to have to know. And it was new because I think the officers last minute were told to go. So I think it's a learning experience for the officers now to see the accountability from the captain and the community. So it's like putting them all in the room and stepping away. And I, I like that the commissioner did that because he put the onus on the district officers because many times you have meetings and all the higher ups are there and that really do the work, don't even know what's going on. <laughs> or they're not invited to the meeting. They're not even invited. So I think that's a big change. And I, I love that Commissioner Cox added that concept because he gets that community policing has to be everyone. He always stressed that to me. He goes, Nara, they don't need to know you. They need to know everyone else. They already know you. So I try to always bring a new person in. And some of my officers, like I said, just got promoted to superintendent and deputy. So I know I can back up and like create that next generation of deputies and supers and, and, and leaders. That's uh, that's fantastic. And uh, as you and I discussed the other day, and I love the concept that you're instilling in the uh, troops early on. You know, you do have a great community engagement unit and they do a, a tremendous job and you you help lay that foundation. But to truly engage the community, it involves the entire department. It involves all the officers. And I love that you're able to, to instill that in them and create that environment. Yeah. And, and to be aware of it. Right. So it was easy when they gave it to me. Um, you know, they're like, you have the Bureau of Community Engagement. And I was like, mm, I like the four stop. I'm like any textbook tells you that you don't create a bureau because then everyone steps away, just like the drug unit. They're like, oh, it's a drug unit's case. The gang unit, the gang unit's like, no, no. You're, and I tell my walk and beat officers when we're in the street team, you are the gang unit, you are the drug unit. And when I do my community policing slide, you know what my second slide is? The table with the drugs and the and I remember when I first put that slide up, my my old boss, they were like, What do you have that up for? I'm like, that's community policing. Because if you don't clean up an area and make it safe, that's people think community policing is just ice cream and kids. Community policing is really when we were put in those areas, it's like you need to stop crime, fear of crime, people not being scared, even if the stats are good and they feel afraid. That's a that's a hard concept. But to walk around and give out ice cream, that's not community policing. So to get the cops to know that. It's not about giving out ice cream and it's not up to these guys because they know us. How do you get the other 1,700 cops to buy in? And part of the way I just notice is invite them. 
invites him. It's like, you know, and it's something I always say about women in leadership. You know, I, I got the role, I was a fourth female. And when I got up there, I thought things were going to be different. And for a while, I was really getting frustrated. And I remember getting caught up in the politics and I said, well, I have my four star. And I thought things were going to be like just different. And it wasn't. And I think that's just challenges being new. Um, and I remember a school calling me to do an event and I was late and I was, I was in my head going, I have to tell these schools, I'm no longer, I'm a superintendent now. I don't have the time for these little things. And cause I was frustrated with my external, you know, my work at work and I pull up and I see balloons and I'm like, they want me to speak at a graduation. I, I don't have time. I had to let them know I'm the superintendent now, like no more community engagement. And I walked over the hill and the entire school was outside and they were like, these young girls that saw themselves in me and they had signs and there was offices there where there were community partners, state representative. And it put me back in perspective of like when the challenge in times and how did I last 17 years? It's like staying focused on your why. And, you know, I also took a class like as a department, you have to know your, your compass. So you have to know where you're at and you have to know where you're trying to go. And I always try to remember that, but in the middle of your why. Right. So you have to know as a department where you're at and where we have to be honest. Where are we at with the trust? Where are we at? In some areas we're great and some areas we're not. But to get back to that why and get everyone to focus on that, no matter how many double shifts to fund the police and you get caught up in it, step back and go, why do I love my job and what makes a difference? And I remember I always remember that as things get hard, I just get out of the office and I go to a school because those kids looking at me just like I'm a rock star is like this is I have to remember this part. And I try to put that back all the time. And I think if cops get out of their car and go into a center, they're gonna, it's going to put them back into not going to 911 calls and getting spit on. If they only focus on the negative, they're going to be in a, a career of negativity. But they focus on the other side because guess what? The community loves us. When you turn off the TV and you don't listen to everything, the community actually loves the police and they want more of us. And I learned that firsthand for the 18 years that I'm like, I don't listen to the, the negativity and I, I and I show everyone that the people that don't like us, you go on my Facebook, my Instagram, every time I go to invent, you are going to see 30 to 50 pictures and I hashtag our narrative, our narrative. And I think it's gone a long way. And I want these recruits to know that there's 139 people that are going to jump on that narrative. And, and it works because the last class is sending me pictures and the last class is going to events that I can't go to and they're taking the lead. And I'm just loving it because they're setting it up. And these are guys not even off probation yet. If they get it out of the gate that young, like I got it once I got the stars and I'm like, okay, I'm a deputy. I have to, but guys not off probation. That's, that's a, that's a big deal. I think in policing. And if you train them, right. I think you, you have 28 weeks with them, 28 weeks. You can shape people. That's right. You're changing the culture. Yeah. I'm trying to with my, with my team though, I have to say it, it's with my team. I have an amazing team. I have a deputy that came all the, the staff that works here is so dedicated. Like I get to sit back and see the pieces that need to be changed in the culture, but they do the day in day out. They do amazing work. I am, I'm just so proud of all of them. Yeah. All of the guys that work here and girls. Well, I can tell you that being from the outside and have known you for quite some time now, I see what you're doing and I see the impact that you're having. And I see the it's not just the new recruits that I see out there engaged. I'm seeing that, you know, a lot of the veteran officers are, Absolutely. you know, coming in and engaged and uh, you're really making a making a difference. And so the term creating our next generation 
of community engagement officers is 100% true. You're not just developing police officers, you're developing community engagement officers. And that's that's truly a blessing. And from every level, like you said, from the sergeant level, from the patrolman level, having those veteran officers and that's acknowledging the work they do, because we always forget about our veteran officers and kind of like we're done with them. But they have some innovative ideas in, in supporting them. And that's all I try to do now is support them and really acknowledge um, the work that they do, because they are our generation as well, the next generation, but we need to all be a team. Um, and that's and that's the big key. That's great. Well, thank you so much for your time and for sharing this great information. Um, a lot of good things going on in Boston. Yes, absolutely. And I hope, like I said, we, we come out to more things. And I'm just, just, like I said, I'm just honored that you had me on today. Yeah. It's a really, really um, a pleasure. And I hope this gives me an idea to have these community policing, uh, you know, talks to let the, the community chime in and just hear from us and have, have that accessibility. So it's, it's good times. It's good times. Oh, very good. This concludes this episode of APB. Thanks again to our sponsor, T-Mobile for Government, delivering connectivity to first responders when and where it matters most. Please join us again next month for another edition of our APB podcast series. Until then, stay safe and be well. 